Welcome back to another episode of the Sex Mancers Podcast. There's no programming notes or special announcements up front, so let's go ahead and dive on in. So if you've been together long enough, you realize that from time to time, you're going to go through some dry spells in your sex life. I mean, think about this. You're thinking about three, four times a week for 10, 15, 20, 25 years, and you don't think there's going to be any dry spells. Yes, there are going to be dry spells, and some of it is going to be due to changes in your life. That's right, changes in your life, especially if one of those changes is recently having a kid. Now, the last child we had born was four years ago. Actually, it's going to be closer to five years ago uh, here in the next couple of months. But during that time, you know, you have the recovery, you're going to go through a dry spell. That, that is natural. But there are other points in your relationship where you are going to go through dry spells in your sex life. It happens to everybody. You know, you get really busy at work and you have a lot of stress and working a lot of overtime and you barely have the energy to make it on home and crawl into bed, let alone have sex. And there are going to be times where the kids run you ragged. There's going to be a whole bunch of things that will go through and interfere with your sex life and result in a dry spell. But some of it, some of it is self-inflicted. The self-inflicted dry spell can be kind of hard to break. Because sometimes the self-inflicted dry spell may be the result of a hobby. You get very interested into something. You lose all track of time. The next thing you know, it is midnight. You're not even going to get a full night's sleep. You already know you're going to be dragging ass the next day. The last thing that's on your mind is staying up for about another hour to try and have sex. Plus, you're too tired, if you're a man, to be able to get it up or for a woman to be able to enjoy it or have the energy to be able to do anything. Right? And then you go through, you drag ass through work, and when you get home and you're ready to work on your hobby, all of a sudden you get your second wind, and you may be able to go on like this for a little bit of time. That is a self-inflicted dry spell. However, there are other situations in which you have a dry spell or you have problems that will interfere with your sex life. I know, for instance, when our first child was really young, our sex life took a huge dive at about the three to four-year-old mark. And one of the problems with that was that we were letting him watch some TV, more specifically some child programming, such as The Wiggles. Now, if you're a parent old enough to remember The Wiggles way back in the day, I think they may still be on, but the entire cast has been replaced. You know that one of the hearts of that show was singing songs, and those songs would be catchy, and they would get stuck in our heads. And then all day, every day, it would drive us crazy having one of the songs stuck in our head. And then when we finally get that song out of our head, it's another song that gets stuck in our head. And I remember us going through and trying to be intimate in the bedroom. And it's really kind of hard to be intimate in the bedroom when the only thing going through your head is fruit salad, yummy, yummy. I mean, and certain other songs, Captain Feather Sword, he has, you know, the pirate dance. I mean, I can't sing. We got, as soon as we could, we got rid of those DVDs. We did not make the mistake of introducing our second or third child to the Wiggles. Those songs got stuck in our heads for months, and it really interfered with our sex life. You know, I don't know, maybe uh, some of you uh, out there are parents, and you understand that some of those kids' songs get stuck in your head and how it can drive you nuts. Now, even though we realize that, it doesn't mean that we were able to avoid all other distractions that have interfered with our sex life. Now, recently, 
me and my wife, we've been going through a bit of a dry spell. And it's not because we don't want to or we're not in the mood. No, 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 no. Far from it. I mean, we'll go through, we'll flirt all day. We'll start teasing each other up, you know, kissing, some groping, some innuendos, letting each other know, oh yeah, we want to. And then what happens? Well, what happens is we go off, we get the kids to sleep. Now, after we put the kids to bed and we tuck them in, we have to wait a little bit of time for them to fully fall asleep so that they don't hear us. You know, nothing worse than a kid who is awake and starts getting up and asking what's going on while you and your partner are going at it, or worse yet, them starting to turn the doorknob on the locked door in the middle of an orgasm. (laughs) Boy. I mean, so you kind of wait until they are fully asleep. Well, one of the things that me and my wife like to do during that time is watch a show. Yes, you know, it's a nice thing to unwind, you know, a typical length show of 40 to 45 minutes, which by the time the episode's over, the kids are fast asleep and a deep sleep and we can go about our business. But every so often we come across a show that is highly addictive. And we start binge watching it at night where we'll watch two, three, four, five episodes sometimes because the shows leave off as a cliffhanger. And we're like, we want to know what's next. And sometimes it's just really good that even though it's not a cliffhanger, you want to know what's going to happen next. How are they going to get out of this situation? Or, you know, how are they going to resolve this conflict that's going to last another two, three, four episodes? And one of the shows that we have recently watched, it's been on for a while, but we just never watched it before. And it's on Netflix. And so we've been binge watching it. It's uh, The Walking Dead. Some of you may suddenly know exactly what it is I'm talking about. And so here it is. I believe they already have like nine seasons on Netflix. And we had only just now started watching it for the very first time. And we just finished up season three. So we still have a long ways to go. But we get very addicted to that. So we go through, we start flirting all day. We're going through letting each other know, yes, 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 I want to. And then the next thing we know, we start watching the show after we tuck the kids in. And then, boom, suddenly it's midnight. It's like, holy crap, did we really watch that many episodes? We kind of start losing track. And we kind of go, I want to see the next episode. Or We're already a little bit tired because after a few nights in a row of not getting much sleep as a result, you know, you start getting tired and then you don't really have the energy to. I mean, everything starts taking its toll. And then, you know, we go through and we start getting sexually frustrated. And since we homeschool our kids, which that doesn't really matter at this point because it's summertime, so they would have been home anyway. So we can't do anything during the day. And we start the cycle all over again the next day, flirting, going, tonight, yes, tonight, we're going to remember to. And then nighttime comes, and we watch a few shows, and all of a sudden, we're too tired. It's all self-inflicted here. Now, on the nights where we were able to control ourselves, we've come across another problem, right? And I'm sure you understand what it is, which is after watching a zombie show, watching Blood and Guts spewing out, necks being ripped out, veins coming out, that after watching the episode, we're not always exactly in the mood. And you got to understand that too. You know, maybe watching something where there's a lot of gore in it is not really a turn on. It could be a turn off. And so we're, we're going through and we're starting to realize, hey, this is getting pretty bad here. 
you know, and we're getting pretty frustrated, pretty crabby, and yet we can't seem to break the cycle. So we're having to go through and sit down and thinking, okay, what can we do here? Because we're not going to just stop watching the show. And we always need to watch something before we go to sleep. It's, and, you know, while the kids are going to sleep, it's part of our routine, part of our getting our bodies all prepared for what we know is going to happen, right? Which, you know, sleep or sex doesn't really matter. Um, you know, the routine is what helps you know, prepare us. And so we need to figure out a way in which we do not binge watch to the point where we're too tired. Or if we do, we know we're going to suffer in the next morning. And knowing that we're going to suffer the following day from being so tired is kind of a demotivating factor as well. But I don't know, maybe for some of you, a show on blood, guts, and gore is the turn on. Although I'm not quite sure how that would be a turn on, but I'm sure for some of you, someone out there it is. So we started talking about the problem and we started thinking about, okay, what is the possible solution? What can we do? And so we started going up and coming up with a plan that we'll be able to stick to so we don't lose track of time binge watching The Walking Dead so it stops interfering with our sex life. So the plan that we came up with was relatively simple. At first, while we were talking, we may have been overcomplicating it. But as we started talking, remember, communication is key to a relationship. So as we were talking, and at first everything was complicated, we found a way to simplify the plan. And that is on days when one of us is horny and we know we want to that night, then the Walking Dead show is off limits for that night. I know, I know, it may be hard. So if we want to watch the show, we're going to have to watch it earlier in the evening while the kids are still awake. And then of course, uh, we'll have to watch it in a room where the kids won't be able to watch it or see it and so forth. And then we got to set an alarm. And that alarm indicates that after this specific time, no more new episodes. That's it. Whether it's a cliffhanger or no cliffhanger, no new episode. So on our nights, we watch it earlier in the evening and we have an alarm that says no more new episodes after this time. And then when it comes time to put the kids to sleep and we watch our show while we wait for them to fall into a deep sleep, we just watch something else. We have other shows that we enjoy, other shows that we can watch from time to time, and those will be the shows that we do, the shows that are not addictive and require our promote binge watching, you know, because they're not cliffhanger, you know, and if we really want to show that we have not too much interest in, maybe we select something from the CW. Right. So, yes, I know that seems really simple, but that's how simple solutions can be when you go off and you talk and you communicate. The problem, we got addicted to a show. We started binge watching it. It was keeping us up late until we were too tired that we knew we wouldn't be able to stay awake for another episode. And it was interfering with our sex life. Solution on the nights we're going to, we don't watch that show when the kids go to sleep. Plus, by not watching all of the gore and, you know, of zombies eating people, it doesn't kill the mood for us. So we watch it early in the night. We set an alarm after this time, no more new episodes, and then just watch something else while we wait for the kids to go to sleep. It doesn't mean that we don't watch it every day. It's just that what time of the day we watch it and when our cutoff point was, that's what we needed to set. And so we went through, we talked about it. We came up with a plan. 
We implemented it, and our dry spell is over. See how great communication is? See how great it is to be able to have the self-awareness, to understand the problem, to realize that it's your own behavior, your own addictive nature that can be interfering or causing the very problem, and then being able to find the solution. And yet, I know there's a lot of couples out there that will come across a problem such as this, and they never address it. They just go off, they binge watch, they binge watch, or they get wrapped up in a hobby or whatever it is. They never address it. They know they're horny. They know they're crabby, but they don't do anything to solve the problem. They never talk about it. Hey, okay, you need to remind me at this time to start wrapping things up for the night, or they don't utilize their calendar with reminders of saying, hey, stop at this particular point in time, or alarms, or any of the other numerous ways in which you can schedule and organize your life to prevent these problems. It's amazing. We have all these tools, and yet so few of us actually use them. And yet, those who do are very productive in life. Those who manages their calendars and to-do lists and to have a nice organization system are able to be more productive and go further in life. And those who do the same principles at home are able to have better, richer family lives, better connection with their spouse, better quality time with their kids. They're able to accomplish everything by staying organized and having a plan. Our problems are we go through life just wandering around blindly, just waiting for stuff to fall into our lap or for things to be successful by accident. No, a relationship, much like a career, has to be intentional. You have to go at it with intentionality, with a purpose, and with a plan. Don't just stumble around just going, oh, I just, I guess I feel like doing something. I don't know what, but let's just go ahead and do it. No, you need to communicate and you need to be on the same page. You need to be willing to share your, each other's calendars. And then just like every month you go through and you figure out your family finances for the upcoming month, you know, the budgeting process about every week, every two weeks, you get together, look through each other's calendars and find time for each other. You also find time of when you're going to stop things, such as if you're going to stop a show. So if you're not so meticulous as to schedule out your day and follow that schedule, then you should at least be meticulous enough to say, hey, at this particular point, I stop everything and just spend time with my family. Or at least at this particular point, I stop so that I can make sure that I'm going to be able to have sex with my spouse. But don't just stumble through day to day, getting wrapped up in whatever it is you're doing, and then finally wake up one moment and go, holy crap, it's been a month since the last time I had sex. No wonder I'm not feeling the best. Or it's been two months. Now, I've never gone two months, but you know I've never actually gone a full month either uh, since being married. Okay. But I mean, you get the point. You don't want to wake up or look up one moment and go, man, I can't even remember the last time I had sex with my spouse. So be intentional and communicate about it. If something's interfering with your sex, talk about it, come up with a plan to address it, and then implement that plan. Your relationship with your spouse, intimacy with your spouse is important, and it should be a priority in your life. Just like spending time with your kids and having a relationship with your kids should be a priority in your life. Do not neglect your spouse and do not neglect your kids. If there's a problem, you're taking on too much or whatever it is, 
talk about it, find a solution. The solution can be very simple and then implement that. Okay. So enough about that. Let's go into the question and answer portion of the show. Question number one, I found my wife too young. What now? I'm 21 and I've been dating my girlfriend who is 20 for the last several months. It's been going very well and she's really a great person. We share life goals, values, and in many ways, she seems like a really good life partner for me. My family likes her. Her family likes me. It's a good arrangement. We've even half-jokingly talked about marriage a bit. The problem is obvious. Wait, what? Obvious? I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not seeing a problem yet. You get along great. You share values. You, your family likes you. I mean, her family likes you. Your family likes her. Everything's going great. The problem is obvious? Okay. It goes, the problem is obvious. We're young. Okay, I'm not sure why that's a problem. You're adult. You're 21. She's 20. I mean, it's not like you're 12 here. So what's this whole, you're young, is an obvious problem? Okay. The question goes on. Neither of us particularly want to get married for the next couple of years. So, I mean, if you're in agreement, what's the problem? And there'll always be that gnawing fear that one of us will someday crave the young 20s they could have had. On the flip side, I clearly have zero desire to break things off with her. She's awesome and makes a solid match. Should I carry on and if things go well, eventually tie the knot? Or should I do something different in light of our age? Okay, so as I go through and I read this, The only thing that really sticks out to me is the problem is you seem to be getting a little cold feet. You talk about half jokingly talking about marriage, but then it seems like maybe that's the real issue. You're getting a little cold feet. You think you're too young to go ahead and get married. And so now you're taking a look at excuses to self-sabotage your relationship. I People want to go off and talk about, oh, someday we'll crave the young 20s we could have had. Yeah? Well, true. You could have had a wild time, lots of parties, sleeping around with lots of people, and have a blast. On the flip side, have you ever thought about the 20s you don't want, where everything goes wrong, you can't get a date, you never find another person as great as the person you have now, and then you spend the rest of your life regretting what could have been if you were smart enough to have been able to hold on to her? I mean, people always go off and think about what could have been as if what could have been would be greater than what you have now. Now, if you go off and you take a look at this, all right, why can't you have the 20s that you want with her? Unless, of course, the 20s uh, that you want is just you sleeping around. Then I understand why you can't have that with her. But unless, you know, putting that aside, if the 20s that you could have had isn't just about sleeping around with a whole bunch of other people. Why is it that you can't have the 20s that you are looking for with her, considering that you share the same values, goals, and how you want life to be set up? Again, it seems like you're just self-sabotaging. You know, the grass is greener on the other side. But let's say you go ahead, you break things off, your 20s suck, right? You don't have nearly the wild, fun time that you thought you were going to have, and then you never meet anyone as great as her. Have you ever thought about that possibility? So here's what I would say. Carry on with the relationship with her. If everything's going great, there's no problem. 
if down the road something comes up, you know, you grow, you grow apart or whatever. Okay. Yeah. You could grow apart. And then at that particular point, if the relationship just doesn't last, then you can go off and take the remainder of your 20s and have your wild time. Now, if you're both off and say neither one of you want to get married, then there's not a problem. You're not really risking anything. You know, you're not risking the possibility of divorce if you're not sure. You still have plenty of time to be able to see whether or not you're, you remain compatible, everything goes good. If later on down the road, you just feel like the relationship isn't working out or, you know, is not, you know, fulfilling your needs, fine. You could break it off at that particular point in time. But as long as everything is going great, fine. Maybe you, you haven't considered the possibility that your 20s will be better with her than it would be without her. Have you ever thought about that? So no, don't break it off. As if Based off of what you said, this is a great match. Don't screw it up. Don't always go and think that the grass is always greener on the other side. I mean, it's the same thing when it comes to business and you know career changes. Everybody thinks the grass will be greener, that they will be happier once they get that next promotion. And it turns out they don't like that promotion. They were happier in the previous job or they'll be happier. Moving to this other company, they'll pretty much be doing the same thing. They'll just get paid more. And then they find out that the culture at that company absolutely sucks and they're more miserable. Yeah, they're getting paid more, but they're more miserable. Whenever someone goes off and thinks about what could have been, they always take a look at the best case scenario, the dream scenario, the unrealistic expectation scenario, but they never go off and consider the opposite, the worst case scenario. Our ability to convince ourselves that if we just do this differently, things will be even better. As great as it is now, it will be better if I just go ahead and sabotage my life, sabotage my relationship, and try to move on. That is not always the case. Okay, question number two. My boyfriend lied to me with my own story. Why would he do this? And what should I do? Okay, sounds like a real winner here. Okay, a few weeks ago, I told my boyfriend a story about when I was 14, I experienced chronic migraines. I told them that I saw a neurologist, and instead of simply diagnosing me with migraines, I was misdiagnosed and said the problem was me suffering from anxiety. And that's why I was experiencing these headaches. I told my boyfriend that this diagnosis was ridiculous. I was not an anxious person. So I went to another doctor who agreed I did not have anxiety, but simply just chronic migraines, and the problem was fixed. My boyfriend agreed with me that I was never an anxious person, ever, and we both agreed that I was misdiagnosed. He then explained how he actually knew what it was like to have anxiety because he had been shy and more anxious type of person in his life. About a week later, we are in a car with one of my best friends. He starts to tell a story about how he was misdiagnosed by a doctor who said he had anxiety, but really it was something else because he definitely did not have anxiety. I was shocked. I was so angry, but I knew that if I called him out on it, he would not confess to telling almost my exact story. It really upset me, and now, about a week later, I cannot stop thinking about it. I want to confront him, but I don't know what to say because I'm so angry and I know he won't confess to it. What should I do? Okay, so in reading this, I realize you have two problems. Problem number one, your boyfriend is a liar. 
Problem number two, he's an idiot as well. Okay, so once you start hearing how he just co-opted your story, internalized it, and then retold it, changing a few details to fit him, the first thing that you should do is start wondering, how much has he lied to you? When he goes off and he tells you stories about his life or stories about something that happened at work, are you sure now that what he's telling you is exactly what actually happened to him? Or is he just co-opting other people's stories and then telling it as his own? You got to start wondering about that. I mean, it is one thing to lie. That is bad enough. It's another thing to blatantly lie in front of a person who knows you're lying. Now, that is just plain stupid. Now, another thing here is the lie that he's telling, he's telling to your friend. Now, if this is a close friend, then I would assume that maybe you had once shared this story with your friend who, upon hearing your boyfriend tell it, realized that it was actually your story and understanding that he is a liar and a bullshitter. But maybe she just went along with it because she didn't want to ruffle any feathers, cause any problems in the relationship, was just waiting to see whether or not you had a problem with him doing it, and then probably had a very low opinion of him as a result. I mean, that's assuming that you have told this friend of yours, which depends on how long you've been friends, how close of friends you were, so on and so forth. So, I mean, it's pretty brazen to be lying like this. In fact, I'd say it's pretty stupid that he would co-opt your story and then lie to another person in front of you about this. And it makes you wonder, is he such a liar that he's now mixing up his lies? You know, whose stories he's co-opted? and not being able to keep track of it. And see, that's the problem with life. They always slip up because it's very hard to keep track of the lie of what you told who what. Now, telling the truth is very easy because it's just the truth. You don't have to try and remember every little detail of the lie. All you have to do is just recount what actually happened. And so now you got to start wondering what else has he lied about? What else has he lied to you about? About work, about his past, about everything. What has he lied to you about? And so, yes, you do need to confront him and try to figure out why it is he would lie. And then when you confront him, pay attention because he may have been lying to you a lot. And so you need to pay attention. How does he react? How much does he stumble? Does he pause while he tries to think up of a lie to tell you? You got to get this address because as long as you leave this out there, knowing that he is a damn liar like this, and a brazen liar or just a really stupid liar is going to be damaging to the relationship. You're going to realize that you can't trust him. And if you can't trust him, what relationship do you have? So yes, of course, I, just like you, I would be shocked and you need to confront him about it. That's my advice on that. All right. Now, moving on to the next question. Okay. I'm a 28-year-old female pregnant after a relationship with my friend who is 31 and female, and her fiancé. Oh, boy. I'm a little scared at the moment, so please be gentle. Life is more complex. I'm not sure I can be gentle here, but we'll see if I can try. Okay, my friend's fiancé and I and her used to date, or excuse me, Mr. and my friend uh, used to date when we were younger then she met her now fiancé at 26, and they hit it off. They had some issues at the start because he was going on school and 
Q-Virgin. I'm not really sure what that is, but okay, maybe just saying virgin. But they overcame them, and she found the one. Three years ago, we got back in regular contact, and they wanted a threesome, and I agreed. Okay. We became more regular, and we became a poly, and I moved in. Polyamorous, I'm sure that's what that means. We have lived together for a few years now, and we have a functional relationship. The question goes on, I became pregnant this month, and not sure how to tell them because we have been talking about having a child, and we agreed my friend would be the mother, but we had issues with that, and I accidentally became pregnant. I only told him, and he is happy, but I don't know how to tell her. It's definitely his because I only sleep with him, and he wants to keep it, and I'm quite hormonal and don't want to get rid of it. Uh, she will likely be happy, but I don't want to flaunt my pregnancy to her when she is struggling so much. We are financially stable, and how should I tell her? Okay, so when I was first going through this question, I started going, uh-oh, you're pregnant as a result of a threesome, and it's not your fiancé or husband. It's hers. That could cause a problem. But then you started talking about how you're now in a poly relationship, and you've all had a discussion about kids and everything. Okay, and in that discussion, you agreed that she would be the mother of the first child, or at least of the first child. But she had some fertility issues, and you ended up getting accidentally pregnant. Okay, so there's a couple of questions here about how you accidentally got pregnant. Is this a situation where you just stopped taking birth control and, oops, you did it on the wrong time of the month? You know, uh, oops in quotation marks. Or is this a situation in which birth control just failed? You know, I'm assuming that you were uh, to be the one on birth control since he was trying to get the other girl pregnant. Okay, so this could cause quite a few problems here. You know, uh, for instance, she thought that, hey, since she was the first wife, the first girl in the relationship, that she should go first in having the kids. I get that she has fertility issues. And the fact that you ended up getting pregnant with the first child, yeah, that could start creating a problem here. Problems of jealousy, for instance, is not just about flaunting the pregnancy in her face. It's the jealousy that she got into the relationship first and invited you in, and then you end up having the first child, what's that going to do to the dynamics of the relationship? Her not being the mother of the first child. Okay. Then, of course, then you get the other issue of fertility, and then wondering if she's ever going to be able to have a child, and so on and so forth. And so she'll need to go off and see a fertility doctor to try and figure out what's exactly going on here, what's taking her so long. But as far as it goes, First thing I want to say is don't wait too long. Don't act like you're trying to hide it. The more you try to hide something like this or the longer it is you hide it before you come forward and say anything, the harder it's going to be and the more damaging it's going to be. You know, you don't want a situation where she starts noticing that belly getting a little bigger and having to confront you before you go off and tell her. So you don't want to wait too long. Uh, secondly, just be honest. You know, just be honest about it. Now, first off, you got to, hopefully this is a situation in which the birth control just failed. But if it's a situation where you stopped taking birth control and got pregnant, that could be a problem. And so 
you'll want to go off and be honest. You don't want to lie to her about it, but you just kind of want to break it gentle. Now, you said that you're sure she'll be happy about it. Okay, okay. So if she's going to be happy about it, well, what's the problem? All right, so don't wait too long. Be upfront and honest. Don't lie about, oh, I was still taking birth control, and it turns out you weren't taking birth control. Because then the question will become, well, if you were taking birth control and you got pregnant, how was you continuing to take birth control not affect the baby or cause an abortion? You know, now I'm not necessarily a birth control expert, but I would assume that if you kept taking the birth control, that it would cause a problem with the baby, you know, lead to an aborted fetus before you would find out about it? I mean, isn't that kind of what plan B is in some respects? Okay. So basically, be upfront and honest. Do it quickly. Now, as far as gentle, you know, just go ahead and just share your feelings. I mean, just go off and just break it off. I mean, just kind of sit down with her and go, hey, I got something to tell you here. It w I know we've been trying to have, you've been trying to have a child, you know, we've been trying to get you pregnant and it's been taking a long time. And I'm really feel, you know, sorry about what is going on. You know, um, maybe we need to check out a fertility doctor, but I do think you deserve to know that during the course of our relationship, um, the birth control has failed and I am now with child. I know that's not according to plan, but it is what has happened. And I do want us to all remain together as we had planned and for you to be there for me, just like he, just like him, and raising our child, all right? Our child, as in all three of yours. I mean, you, can, you know her better than I do, so you kind of know what personality she has. And so I'm just trying to go off on a generic idea of a personality. But the longer you wait, the longer it doesn't matter how you break it to her, it's going to be bad. All right. So just be upfront and honest. Just be delicate about it. You know, don't just rip off the band aid and say, I'm pregnant. You know, just be delicate and make sure you are sympathetic to how she feels about not being able to get pregnant. All right. So that is my advice on that situation. I mean, I really kind of want to rip into this whole idea of a polyamorous relationship. I don't think it's a good idea long term, but hey, for some people, it can work. Any type of relationship can work for a certain number of people. But you may find out as a result of you getting pregnant first that this polyamorous lifestyle only goes so far before it starts falling apart. And of course, I save the best for last. I saved the best for last. Okay, here we go. My boyfriend wants to marry another woman for tax benefits. <laughs> oh, oh, when I saw this, I had to read it. Okay, so it, the question goes, so basically this is a very stupid question, but here it goes. My boyfriend says that if he marries this other woman, his friend's sister, who, to be fair, he doesn't know well and will continue to be an acquaintance at most, who is in medical school and making no income, then he'll save $10,000 a year in taxes. He said he would split the money with me. Also, 
the friend's sister lives in a different state. And we've been dating for a few months and have no plans to get married soon. I don't know how to explain to him this is unacceptable and not really worth $5,000 for me. He's confused as to why not. Now, I'm sure you could tell that I'm having a hard time getting through this without laughing, without busting out laughing. So let me go off and point out here, woman, you are right that this is unacceptable, and he is a moron. He is a moron. So let me get this straight. He wants to get married to save $10,000 in tax, but he's willing to give half of it to you. So his grand plan here is to get married so that he can have an extra $5,000 at the end of the year. Think about that for a moment. First of all, this is very stupid of him. I mean, if he was going to do this, I mean, you would think at least he would be intelligent enough to maybe draw up a prenuptial agreement. Because if he goes off and he gets married to this woman without a prenuptial agreement, then upon divorce, so that he can marry you, she'll get everything. She'll get all of his money, all of his assets. And she can claim infidelity as the reason for the divorce and why she should get everything. So he could be losing his ass on this. So hopefully, hopefully, if he plans on going through with this, he at least is intelligent enough for a prenuptial agreement. Second, secondly, let's kind of take a look at what he's saying. He's saying that your relationship is worth less to him than saving $10,000 in taxes. But if he's willing to split it with you, he is saying that $5,000 that he plans to keep is more important at this moment in time than your relationship. Is this really someone that you want to stay with? Someone that you want to be with who thinks so less of you that you're not even worth $10,000 to him? You're not even worth $5,000 to him? I mean, I'm starting to wonder here about this plan. You know, if this is him trying to find a way to marry the woman that he really wants to be with, right? But you know, while he's doing that so that they can be together once she graduates and maybe moves to where he's at, that you're just his side girl, the girl that he's going to have fun with so he doesn't have to go the next couple of years uh, abstinent or not being able to have sex while not being able to live with her. So I'm starting to wonder about whether or not you're actually the side woman here in this arrangement and this whole tax scheme is just his way of trying to bullshit an excuse as to why he's going to marry this other woman. But okay, let, let's say that you're right. It's just an acquaintance at most. Then you got to start asking yourself, what type of woman would agree to marry somebody so that they could save money on taxes and not get anything themselves? So you got to start asking yourself, what is it exactly that she's going to get out of this arrangement? I mean, okay, maybe he's greedy enough that he'll get married so he can save $10,000 a year, but what is her motivation to go through with it? I mean, if he's already bringing the question up to you, I'm guessing he's already asked the other woman and that she would say yes. Now, you haven't necessarily mentioned that in here, but that would be the assumption. And then you got to start asking, well, why would she say yes to something? Even if he's this stupid, why is she this stupid? So I would start questioning the entire arrangement here about whether or not it's really just an acquaintance or whether or not you're the side girl. Secondly, I would start questioning whether or not he is the right man for you 
considering that you're worth less than $10,000. In fact, based off of the split, you're worth less to him than $5,000 right now. Is, Is that really the type of guy you want? Is that really the type of guy you think would be great for your long-term future? And then what happens when you get married and you start costing him more in taxes? I mean, if he's willing to get married to try and save $10,000 in taxes, do you think he may avoid marriage if it will increase his taxes? That's always a possibility. But then again, maybe he'll take a look at the child tax credit and think that marriage to you is beneficial. Which brings up another question here. When the day comes, that he divorces his other woman in order to get married to you. Will you ever be fully sure whether he's marrying you because he loves you or because you're more conveniently located near him and he can still save that money? I mean, this is one of the dumbest things that I have ever heard someone come up with, especially as an excuse to get married to somebody else that he's not dating. So in the end, I would say you've only been together a few months. Take this as a warning sign of just how stupid he is, just how little he values you, and how he's willing to pretty much just do anything for a buck. Take this as a warning sign. Drop him and go get yourself a real man. Go get yourself a real go-getter who will be able to earn the money. Don't put up with a moron like this. Because if he's already coming up with this, this early on in your relationship, and he does it and you stay with him, you're going to go through a lifetime of putting up with him doing really stupid things, all right? So make sure you put your foot down. It's either you or the $10,000, because he's not going to be able to do both in this situation. Unless, of course, within the first few months, you've decided that you're really in love and want to get married to him, which at the very least, with this whole idea right here that he's come up with, you should definitely be questioning whether or not you would want to marry him. All right, don't be an idiot. Pay attention to the warning signs and save yourself a lifetime of headache. All right, so that's it for this episode. I'd like to thank you so much for listening in. If this is your first time listening in, don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you never miss another episode. Please leave me a rating and review. Thank you so much, and I will be back again soon.